Would you guys make Karen Ellison feel welcome as she we comes go. up this morning? <laughs> Karen, thanks so much for being with us today. So, um, Karen was originally scheduled to come share with us about three weeks after COVID shut us all down a, a year and a half ago almost. And so we're really excited to have you back. Um, I don't want to say too much. I'm just going to let Karen kind of share her story and her ministry. Um, but um, just briefly, our dear friend Julie, who goes to church with us, she has worked with Karen for years in a ministry that comes alongside folks who've walked through abortion. And it's about bringing hope and healing that's found in Jesus. And so she's going to share more about that with us this morning. But I just want to say we love you. We appreciate you. Um, and we're grateful that you're here. Thank you so, so. much. Thank you so much. Um, can we agree in prayer together for Karen and for our own <laughs> hearts to hear and receive this morning? So, Lord, thank you so much for Karen. God, for all that she does to walk with you and to carry your grace to those in need. And, Lord, thank you for her willingness to come and share this morning um, about her life and this ministry. And, Lord, I pray for all of us, God, that we would have ears to hear what she's sharing God, that we would have hearts to receive from you. Lord, thank you that your grace touches even the most broken places in our lives. And so, God, would you open us up personally to your love and grace that's available? And then, Lord, would we be inspired to be carriers of that good news to those in need? We love you, Jesus, and we just commit our hearts to you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, thank Karen. You. Thank you. Wow. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I'm already so encouraged. Um, first of all, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord, you know, so thank you for creating that space and um, a place for the Lord's presence to be strong. <clears throat> Excuse me here. <clears throat> and then also your songs were like so great. Um, you know, when I just think about our ministry, which I'm going to tell you more about here, but you know, the biggest thing people face is fear. Fear is like so debilitating. And that um, people have chains. They have chains on them. Chains have to be broken. And fear, that f spirit of fear is so overwhelming and it can paralyze you. And it can, you know, so, you know, just the songs that you sang today, just <clears throat> that we can enter into, that's our belief. We believe that the, that the Lord is bigger and stronger and all that and those things. So, that's just such a perfect um, thing to give, to give uh, acknowledge today and uh, to give the Lord praise for. <clears throat> okay, so I think the first thing I just want to say is <clears throat> it's actually rare that uh, I or anyone from our ministry gets asked to serve, I mean, to speak at a church, especially on Sunday morning. And sometimes that's really sad to me. It's not like I like to get up and speak a lot, but it's more like, why don't we ever get invited to come and speak? And I think it's because no one wants to talk about what I'm going to talk about. Abortion is very hard to talk about. It's very hard to hear about. And, and people kind of don't know what to do with it. You kind of put that out there in the room. It's like the elephant in the room. You kind of put it out there, and then we're like, well, now what do we do? And it makes us, it can make us feel uncomfortable, and 
And, you know, and here's, if it makes you feel any better, I don't even like to talk about it. I mean, there's lots of things I'd like to share with you this morning. I don't like to talk about abortion either. But, but let me tell you who does want to talk about it. Jesus. Jesus wants to talk about it. And so I'm really only here because of that. I've only really done this for like, it seems like 100 years, but because Jesus wants to talk about it. That's why we do that. That's why we get up. That's why we do it. And so I just want to um, thank you. Thank you for allowing Jesus to talk about it with you today. Um, so I honor that. I just want to honor you. I want to honor Grace Chapel um, in the heavenlies. I want to honor you to say thank you. Jesus says thank you. Um, that you have ears to hear and that you're willing to talk about and hear what Jesus wants to talk about. So I just want to bless you for that. <clears throat> and let me say this too right from the beginning. Um, I can assure you of this. Even if abortion is not part of your story, it's the story of somebody you love. I promise you that. It's the story of somebody you love. And you might not know that about them right now. But if you'll create a space in your heart and in your life to be sensitized and to be in the right place at the right time and let the Holy Spirit just be right on your lips in that moment, he will reveal it and you will know what to say and you'll know what to do. <clears throat> I think how I want to share with you this morning, I want to kind of give you a big picture, kind of the big picture of... <clears throat> what's going on in the world about abortion. Because I don't know how much you're in the know about any of that. So I feel like, let me give you some of the big picture. Then I'm gonna hone it down a little bit and I'm gonna share with you what Deeper Still is, is doing about it. What, what the Lord has raised us up to do about it. And then thirdly, I want to challenge you a little bit about, just to ask the question, Lord, how is Grace Chapel supposed to be a part of the solution? And so if you'll let me kind of just open that up for you today. Hopefully you will feel equipped a little bit more by the time we end. So, <clears throat> I'll put this down. <clears throat> so um, let me start with some statistics, just so, you know, it kind of gives you a little view of this. 70% of American women who have abortions identify themselves as Christians. So that needs to sink in a little bit. I was part of that statistic. I had an abortion in 1981. That's 40 years ago. <clears throat> and even though I didn't know then what I know now, still, like, I was a Christian. I did have, I did believe that if you were pregnant, that meant a baby. Like, that wasn't confusing for me. But there, there were other forces that were stronger than that truth in my life. So, but I asked myself, I, I mean, I used to ask myself this a lot. Like, what was missing? Like, what was missing in my Christian walk? What was missing in my Christian community? What was, why did I fall between the cracks? Like, what was going on? Or what wasn't going on? 
So I'm going to come back and touch on that a little bit later. But I, I, I'm very much attuned to that statistic. Um, let me give you another statistic. Well, one in three people, or one in three or one in four people in the, I'm going to just keep this in America right now, church, have been involved in abortion in one way or another. And maybe here is the most alarming one. <clears throat> in a study that was done by Lifeway, like Lifeway retailers or Lifeway Christian Books, that, that group, they did a research study about in 2015. Of the people that they surveyed, of the women that they surveyed who'd had abortions, 76% of them, 76% of them, said that the local church had no influence on their decision to have the abortion. That's probably the most alarming thing I can tell you. It's like, what? If the, if the church is to be relevant in all ages, in all stages, in all times in history, and abortion is probably one of the biggest, um, well, more people die from abortion every year than anything else. So if that's the case, why is it that the local church had zero influence on, on those decisions? I mean, that, if that doesn't alarm you and disturb you and ruin your day, I don't know what will. And so we need to say, Lord, what in the world is going on and what are we missing? Why are we so confused about that or silent or what, what is it? What's going on? Well, first of all, <clears throat> the demonic strongholds of death and murder that fuel abortion are probably the fiercest strongholds there are. I, I have been in ministry most of my life, and uh, of all the times I'm in warfare about one thing or another, spiritual warfare, it's when I'm doing this work. It's when I'm defending life or supporting life or helping people get released from the bondage of that. It's probably when I experience the fiercest battles spiritually. But I think it's because it's so pervasive. I think that when there's the shedding of innocent blood, which is what abortion is, the shedding of innocent blood, that actually empowers demonic forces. And I mean, a lot of Christians don't even realize that. Of all the things that empower demonic forces, the shedding of innocent blood is right up there at the, at the top of the list. And I think it's because, you know, for one thing, Satan hates God, and he hates God's children. He hates the image bearers of God, because human beings, we're the only one that are image bearers of God. No other thing in creation that God created is as elevated as his children, is as elevated as those that we are made in the image of God. And Satan hates image bearers of God. And so I think that is one of the, one of the reasons why it is so fierce. And if you want to try to spear up, stir up dark spiritual forces in heavenly places, then, try, then just stand for life and try to put an end to abortion. So let me talk about a little bit in the United States, Texas. If you're kind of in the news about this or whatever, Texas is the first state, actually, to be able to cross over this huge chasm. Texas just passed, uh, they call it the heartbeat law. And they, this law has actually been enacted now, August 31st, uh, from August 31st to September 1st, 
uh, this law actually went into effect. And in this heartbeat law, what it's essentially saying is abortion is illegal in the state of Texas once a baby's heartbeat is detected, once they're able to detect heartbeat, and which is about close to six weeks of being pregnant. So this has never happened before. But I think it's also interesting that Roe v. Wade, which is the, uh, the case that went to the Supreme Court that made abortion legal in all states, came out of Texas. You know, and Texas is now the first state to actually jump over that chasm. Now, they're being fought left and right. Trust me, that the, the, it's fierce what's going on down there. But, um, and many other states, a couple dozen other states, have put these uh, heartbeat bills before, and they've actually passed them, even Tennessee. Tennessee actually has a heartbeat bill that they passed. But as soon as it came out, I mean, it was immediately, you know, there was some kind of injunction against it. Some judge said, no, you can't do it, or there was some kind of lawsuits. So a lot of them were just stalled. But Texas is the first one that has come out about that. So, <clears throat> but as you can imagine, uh, and I just want to say, you know, praise the Lord for our, our governor, our Governor Lee and his administration. I mean, we have some godly people uh, that are really fighting for life in, t in Tennessee. So really want to support them in that and praise the Lord for that. But in, in uh, Texas, so just to kind of hone this down for you, you can see what's going on there. Like there was a, um, an abortion clinic in Fort Worth. They were so committed to seeing that, uh, you know, wanted to fight this bill, but they knew that starting September 1st, it was going to be illegal to have their clinic open. So um, the doctor, the ad abortion doctor and his staff, on August 31st, they stayed open to midnight that night. And they were going to do as absolutely as many abortions they could possibly do. And so they did 67 abortions in 17 hours, right up until midnight. But that the next day, that the abortion advocates and those who are fighting this, they uh, honored them as heroes. I mean, they were interviewed on all kinds of talk shows, like they were the ones that, were, that, that somehow cared about women. So that's the length to, this, to which this is going. So there's obviously a big disconnect. There's a big disconnect between uh, what is it, how is it that you think you're helping women, and, and then no regard for that these are actually children that, that you are killing, that their innocent blood is being shed. Um, <clears throat> but the truth is they're killing babies, and they're deeply wounding women for the rest of their lives. Not to mention, they're deeply wounding, indirectly, the men that father those children and the family members. I mean, the, the tree goes on and on of the ripple effect of this kind of wounding. And so, and you might find what I'm about to say next hard to believe, but just so you know how bizarre this can get. There's a group out there called the Satanic Temple and they're a legitimate 501c3. They consider themselves a non-theistic religious church. Whatever that is. A non-theistic religious church. And they're among those who are challenging this Texas heartbeat bill law. And they claim that, and this is their claim, this is why they want, they still want, they want to do everything they can to preserve abortion. They claim that aborting unborn babies is a religious ritual 
similar to communion and baptism for Christians. So if you, if you know anything about uh, satanic ritual abuse, whatever, this would make more sense to you, but uh, it, it's seen as a religious ritual that, has, that, that they have to have. But again, that's what fuels these spiritual forces, these dark forces in heavenly places. So, and this battle for life is being fought in every state in our union, and it's being fought in every country. So back to statistics for a minute. 70 million abortions happen every year in our world. I mean, it's just like too overwhelming. 70 million, not just 70 million, every year. So in the United States, we only, the United States only does two or less percent of the abortions that happen all over the world. So the sanctity, the value of human life is at stake all over the world. And these spiritual forces are being released of death and murder and violence all over our world. <clears throat> so, I, so I think the thing to be sensitized about that is, I just heard you say, in January, you might take a mission trip to Mexico. Right now, there are, I don't know how many states are in Mexico, but I do know that some states right now have just legalized abortion in Mexico. And so, like, my husband and I, we were involved in missions for a long time, and, like, it's, it was always so disheartening to me that a lot of mission agencies, it's sanctity of human life, it's not even on their radar. Like, it's not. And it, it might have been that somewhere in Christian history, it was kind of a given that you value human life, or it's kind of given that, you, you know, you just kind of knew as a Christian that we're all made in the image of God. Well, you just can't assume that anymore. And, and they, I feel like it needs to be a doctrinal statement. Like, why isn't this a doctrinal statement? That we are made in the image of God. And there's sanctity in our human life, which makes us different. Okay, let me tell you this craziness. There are actually some states in the United States that have, I don't know if you make a bill about this or law, I don't know how they do it. But they have, they have voted to attribute the same status of personhood personhood status to a river, to rivers. I don't know if it's like the Colorado River or something, but the, there are like creation, like mountains, rivers, that they're given personhood status to because it's, I, I, I don't even understand it, but, but not people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's ridiculous. And so we as a church, like, shouldn't we be the voice for that? Like, what's the voice for on the pinnacle of God's creation, it's human beings. That should be like part of our doctrine. That's my, own, that's my little side thing that I do, but. Okay, <clears throat> so we can either be paralyzed by all this ridiculousness and all these overwhelming numbers, or we can say, okay, Lord, what can we do to partner with you to turn this tide? It's that simple. And that's what, we're, that's what we're here today. Lord, what can we do? What are you asking us to do? To actually be an influence in our culture. The biggest silent army in the world, but in the United States, is the army of the abortion wounded. It's the biggest silent army. So the abortion wounded in our nation, um, so, you know, there's, since 1973, 
it's around 63 million babies have been aborted, 63 million. So there's a mom for every one of those babies that were aborted. There's a dad for every one of those babies aborted. And then there's family members, and it goes on and on. That's a lot of wounded people out there. That's a lot of people where there's been a seed of death um, somehow in their family line. And so what, what abortion does to you, it gags, well, like, I'd like to say it like this, because this is exactly what happened to me. It gags and silences you. Because you immediately put yourself under, like you come under and you come into agreement when you have an abortion, whether you realize it or not, you come into an agreement with a spirit of death and a spirit of murder and a spirit of violence. And so then that immediately opens the door to several things. But there's guilt, because you have true moral guilt you're dealing with, for one thing. And then that opens the door to shame. So you have this whole kind of thing of shame that comes on you. And then you have this grief, but you can't really call it a grief because you brought it upon yourself in that kind of way. And, and, and then you have these fears, fear, just fear of everything, but certainly fear of people, fear of judgment, fear of, fear of everything. And so you come under all that. So what happens is you get silenced. And I know that's how it was for me. I was absolutely silenced. Like, I would do anything to avoid the subject of abortion. I couldn't say the word abortion. And if that subject came up, I left the room, or I found a way to change the subject. It gagged and silenced me. And that is true of, that's true. That's just how it is. And so if you think of, you know, that many millions upon millions upon millions of women or men or whatever who's been involved in abortion, they're under that cloak of silence, shame, guilt, regret, grief, fear, blah, blah, blah. Then your life gets reduced pretty quickly. You get reduced to, I only talk about certain subjects. I avoid like crazy anything that's there's, we have so many women that say, like, I'm just looking at those two little beautiful babies back there. There are so many post-abortive women or men who would not go up and pick up that baby because you cannot. You can't go to baby showers. You can't rejoice in someone else's thing. Either that or you fake it. I mean, you fake it. And you, and, but then once it's over, you get out of there as soon as possible. So, if that abortion-wounded army would get healed they would be the biggest force that can raise up, can have a voice, can be an influence, and stop abortion. But that army has got to be healed. And so that's why God raised up deeper still. That's why we exist. We exist to be an instrument of the Lord to bring healing and lasting freedom to abortion-wounded hearts. That's our entire mission statement. I feel like deeper still is like the, I feel like we're like the underground church. I feel that way a lot. I'm like, we're like the underground church. Because first of all, you don't see us and you don't, we're like in secret. Like everything we do, we do it in secret. So we have these retreats. We do retreats, healing retreats, these weekend retreats up in the mountains or somewhere. I mean, we do it different places. But we all do it in secret because, you know, we want to guard confidentiality. We want to guard, we have to guard all that because we're making the safest environment for someone to come and get healed and be set free from all this bondage. So it's like, you know, we all wish, I mean, we have lots of stories we could tell, and there's stories that we can tell, 
But there's a lot we can't tell you. That's because we're like the underground church and we do it in secret. But when those, those women and men come out from being in that whole environment and that whole experience where they encounter Jesus like they've never have, then they come out and they get their voice back. And then they can talk and they can act and they can be a person. They can like be who they're really supposed to be. And it's the most beautiful transformation. Like we experience transformation all the time, like right before our lives. And it's just the most amazing thing. And so um, we, uh, you know, I just feel like we have one of the most privileged things on earth that the Lord has given us to do. And we get to uh, partner with Jesus in reclaiming something that the enemy has laid claim to for years. You know, sadly, I would say most of the women in our retreats uh, initially are in their 50s and 60s. 50s and 60s, 70s, and then 40s and 30s and 20s. And so, you know, the, the sad part of that is that people will live with bondage for years. They'll, they'll just live with bond. They'll find a way to cope, whatever, for years. Um, and then finally, a time comes where I'm like, you know what? I, before I die, I, I probably would like to get this off my chest. You know, so, so that is something. But anyway, we are raising up a generation of freed-up women to do that. The Lord has also uniquely given us a inroad into the Chinese culture. The Lord really put that on our hearts several years ago now, but we have... Um, we have worked with Chinese, and so we have a couple chapters in, um, in China, in mainland China right now, uh, that are working there. And if you know anything about Chinese culture and, and how they view human life, it is, uh, you know, it's probably one of the worst in the world in terms of valuing for you for who you are, not for what you do, but for who you are. In Taiwan, we're working with a church in Taiwan to try to get something started there. But then there's lots of Chinese right here in the United States. There's a ton of Chinese here that the Lord wants to heal and wants to set free to be a voice for the Chinese. So, um, so I have actually a, a, a couple videos I was going to show you. And if you all are ready, there's one. This one, the first one is from a gal named Whitney, and she is local here. And uh, she's allowed us to share her story. And I thought this would just give you a little glimpse into what that, what that was like, if y'all want to show that. When I was 19, I ended up um, in a situation where I was pregnant. And um, at the time, I was dating a guy. And um, we were just in a really big party lifestyle and doing drugs and just, you know, really rebelling. I came from a broken home, and I just was just a really hurt girl and at a young age and so um, when I got pregnant I, all I could think about was this is going to really affect my situation with my family even more like I don't know if my parents are going to ever talk to me again I just I had made a lot of bad decisions too so it just was in a really bad spot and um, I remember telling my boyfriend at the time that I was pregnant and, uh, you know, we didn't talk about it much. And so um, one day whenever he was working, I uh, made an appointment to go up to Knoxville and to have the abortion. There's a part of me that died that day. And so I couldn't deal with the decision I made. I didn't really know, um, you know, how to process any of it. So the drug use that began, you know, a few months before got worse. And I would use prescription medication, alcohol, whatever I had to just not to feel because if I didn't feel, I didn't have to face anything. 
And so that went on for years. Um, when I was 27 years old, I, uh, I got sober. And um, at that point in my life, I received some healing because, um, you know, a lot of my lifestyle choices has changed and everything. But one thing I didn't really know how to do still was cope. God has been so good to me because even in that, I saw I saw Him changing my life and uh, introducing me to people that were speaking into my life and helping me process. And I remember one day talking with my pastor and uh, just just telling him, you know, I'm going through this situation and I, I need help. I don't I don't know how to how to deal with this and I want to do what's right and I want to honor God. But there's something wrong with me. I don't I don't honor Him in this way because I don't know how to let this stuff go. So he put me in contact with Tina Boyette, and we started meeting for lunch. And um, after sharing it with her, she asked me, "Have you, what kind of healing have you had for this abortion that you had? And I was like, oh, I'm fine. That was like 16 years ago. That's not the issue anymore. It's like, these are my issues. And she's like, well, she's like, I hear what you're saying. She said, but there's a retreat that's coming up, and I think you should just go. I still not convinced that I need to do this because I think I'm fine as far as that goes. But all of that changed whenever I uh, pulled up to the uh, retreat. And it was just from the moment I got there, um, I was met by these women that came to my car and got my bags and like were treating me like, instead of treating me like, you know, you've done something so wrong, they were embracing me and they were loving on me from the second they saw me. The ceremony at the end, we were asked if there's anything that you know we wanted to share that God had done through the weekend. And I just remember saying, God just made this real to me this weekend. God just took something that seemed like a circumstance and He showed me it wasn't just a circumstance. It was a child and it was your child. And this child is not mad at you and I'm not mad at you. I left there and I remember pulling up into the driveway and my son Berkeley comes running out and I was just like, I could see that I loved him with brand new eyes. And it was, there was a, a level of shame I had and, and guilt that I had in being a, a parent to him because I felt like I don't deserve this. I mess up everything. I love him so much and I'm free to love him with my whole heart now. And I wasn't before. And, um, and my husband, I mean, things are so much more authentic now between us because he knows me. So much has changed and I just feel like a joy of the Lord um, in my life and just this gratefulness and this thankfulness. And for so long, I would hear, you know, Jesus loves me and all this stuff. And I'd be like, yeah, Jesus loves me. And I could agree with people with my head, but I couldn't with my heart. And that changed for me that weekend also. I felt like for the first time in 16 years, I believed. Yes, Jesus loves me, and He loves all of me. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> I was going to ask Julie to come up. Um, Julie works with us at uh, Deeper Still, as you know, and she's part of your uh, body here. And Julie's focus really is on developing our, uh, we have chapters. Uh, that we're developing throughout the country as well. And so right now we have about 24 chapters in the United States. They're all different levels of growth. But anyway, Julie's focus is to really help them um, 
get them and then develop them and train them. And, and so um, just in the last, you know, COVID has kind of been weird, but um, we're, you know, we're starting to travel more. So Julie's traveling more to go out because we're helping them get their retreats started. And so that's one of the ways you can be really supportive of her is to pray for her. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of strength, and there's always warfare that goes on with this. So just having your support of, of her, sending her out in that way would be really huge. But she just got back from a retreat in uh, Wisconsin. We just got a brand new uh, chapter up there. And, um, and, it, and it, so it was amazing. But there's at least one uh, participant up there I asked her to share a little bit about because it was such a beautiful story of what God can do. So, um, yeah, our new chapter in Wisconsin is in the Wausau area, if you're familiar with Wisconsin at all. And um, usually when we go and we have retreats, we usually try to keep the first retreat kind of small just because everyone's new and everyone's learning and it's easier to deal with smaller numbers. So we had four female participants, and, um, and we had this one particular lady that came, and she had had no previous healing whatsoever, which a lot of times we'll have people that have maybe been through some studies or something like this. But this particular lady um, had no previous healing at all, um, and she did not know Jesus at all. And um, and so we, we got to the point where we were just doing one-on-one ministry, and... Um, and we just talked about that a little bit and, and talked about, you know, like, would you like to see Jesus? Like, you know, would, would you like to have that assurance that when you pass away, you can see Jesus face to face? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I want that. And um, so we just prayed a prayer and she was like, okay, and? And I was like, that, that, she was like, that's it? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's really it. And, um, and, and just one of the ways that the Lord just always goes before us is this particular lady needed a ride to the retreat center, and it was about an hour away. So where we had previously, a couple months before that, we had done a training at this church. Well, the, um, the pastor's wife was able to come, and she drove her to the retreat. So she was like, well, well now I just need to find a church after she got saved. She said, well, now I just need to find a church. Because the pastor's wife had already taken her, she already had a connection with a church, and she was like, I'm I'm going there next Sunday. I'll be there. And there happened to be three other ladies at the retreat that weekend, team members and one participant that attend the same church. And she was like, I already know three people and the pastor's wife. And she was so excited. And she, um, what, what the enemy will often do is if a woman has had more than one abortion, He'll put more shame and more condemnation on, on them. And um, one of the things is roughly about whatever number of women have had abortions, usually half of them have had more than one. And so this lady had had multiple abortions. And so the shame that was on her was just so heavy. And um, so we were able to just lead her to Jesus. And she received salvation for the very first time. Two other ladies rededicated their lives to the Lord. So 75% of the women at that retreat have, had really either received salvation for the first time or rededicated their lives to the Lord. And I think for any personal retreat that I've served on, that's the highest number of salvation that we've ever had. And it's just, it just un, undoes me every time because that's what it's all about. 
and they leave transformed and they will be, they will make a difference. They will make a difference because they, they are able to speak now and they no longer live in that shame and condemnation because they, they have been set free. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Julie. So, yeah. Um, and so let me talk now a little bit about Grace Chapel. Like what, what could the Lord be asking you to do? And so here's some of my challenges that I have for any church. Um, that's stepping into uh, these things of, of, of life. And that is, I think the best thing you can do is uh, kind of do a self-assessment, like as a church body. Like, so I'm going to kind of give you some questions here. They're kind of, okay, we're going to assess our body here. So one is, what, do, what does Grace Chapel, what do Grace Chapel, what do you do um, or what do you have in place right now that demonstrates that Grace Chapel cultivates a culture of life. So just think about, you know, you're developing a culture as a new church, you're developing it, but what is it that you do to cultivate life? And so there's lots of different ways you can do that, but one way that sadly is, is not, it's not common, and that is like in your curriculum, in your discipleship model, in your Bible studies, are you teaching about the sanctity of human life? Are you teaching about how we're made in the image of God and that every human being is valuable, more valuable than any other part of creation? Is that being taught in your children's church? Do your children know that? Are you teaching that them that right from the beginning that when that baby's in mommy's tummy and they were in mommy's tummy, Lord was, God was knitting them together, right? From, and they're special because God was knitting and God gave you a name and a, a fingerprint. Like, your children need to be knowing it. Because if they don't know that when they're, you know, three, four, five, six, they're going to really need to know it when they're 15, 16, 17, and 18. Um, and also, are you just helping? You know, you can help. There's lots of, uh, in our area, whether well, it's crisis pregnancy centers, or, um, how do we help women that are in need? How do we help boyfriends that are struggling? Uh, you know, because they want to be supportive, but they're in over their head, and they don't know what to do. Or the parents, the parents of when their teenagers or young adults are in crisis, what the parents are like, they don't know what to do. Or even just doing, uh, even just being supportive of fostering children or adoption and just all the different ways that you can affirm life. As a church body, it's like, what is the Lord asking you to do for that? But secondly, and this is my big challenge to churches, um, how does Grace Chapel cultivate a culture of healing? How many ways in your, you know, your church life do you communicate that this is a safe community to bring your sin to the light? And so you might start by asking yourself, like even yourself, like, all right, in, in my church, if I'm struggling, if I'm struggling with a sin or something that I'm just, I can't conquer it myself, who do you think about in your church you would go to? Like, do you already have people come to mind? Oh, they'd be a safe person to go to that would, I would do that. Oh, no, I can't do that. My small group, well, I don't know, maybe. You know, how many different ways do you verbally communicate or in different ways communicate that if you're struggling, you don't have to keep it inside? If you're struggling, this is the place to bring it out. And, um, and so I, I think that was what my, I think that was one of the issues for me is like I feel like that I was stuck. I was stuck in my embarrassment 
I was stuck in my pride. I was stuck in people-pleasing and disappointing my family, and, and it goes on and on. And then my, my family, my, my parents, I mean, they had their own issues of people-pleasing and not wanting to bring things into light, and what would people say? I mean, it goes on and on, I and mean, it's ridiculous. And it's everywhere. I mean, that's kind of the normal way people deal with things. You, you don't talk about it, you hide it, you put it in the closet. But you go on looking like, acting like things are just fine. And so, um, but what, and I never saw modeled in my Christian community, I never saw modeled what healthy transparency looks like. So I didn't even have a model to know how you do that. And even if I did tell somebody, a confession, what would they do with me? Like, I didn't know what they would do with me, so I'd be like, that's a little too risky. And I think that's one of the reasons why lots of people fall between the cracks. It's because it's more like it's something internal that you just will never bring to the light. So, um, have you established a pathway to healing? So if you think about steps, like that might start right here on a Sunday morning, like if you did, you know, whatever, maybe a sermon or like what I'm sharing today, like if someone did come forward, okay, so what do you do with them? What are their steps to get from maybe like sitting here on this chair to maybe a deeper still retreat? Like have you thought through, like, okay, so maybe we pray for them on, if, if they would, or or we have to model, like, and some of that for the leadership is just your own transparency. Telling your own story. What have you struggled with? What did you, what, if you had to do it differently, um, and you didn't have to suffer and being tormented by yourself, how would, you, how would you do it again if you could do it again? And help someone else build a bridge so that they don't have to sit there and, get, and be gagged in silence. If you can build that bridge, they will come out. And once they... Once they are assured that this is a safe place, people will start coming. Je Jesus will send them here. They'll come out of the woodwork. <laughs> He'll send them to you. So <clears throat> I've spoken all right, at different churches. I just want to kind of give you a little profile. Um, I have spoken at churches where when I'm finished or we're done, you know, dismissed, people run from me. I can't take that personally, of course. But people run from me. Because it's like, I'm not going near her. She's scary because she knows too much, you know. <laughs> She's going to read something on my face or whatever. Uh, that's, a sad, that's a sad scenario. Like, why? That's because there's not a culture of healing in that church where there's a safe place to come forward. Two, I've been in churches where um, they've loved me to, sp I mean, I've spoken and it's been great or whatever. But after it's over, um, people will, after everyone's cleared the building and after everyone's cleared the parking lot, someone is waiting to come up and talk to me. And, you know, so, okay, there's, there's at least some progress there. <laughs> you'll wait till everyone leaves the parking lot, then you'll try to find that person that was speaking. <laughs> Sadly, I've only ever been in one church where after we shared and, and uh, there was an open invitation, the pastor then gave an open invitation for healing or just coming up to pray or confess or whatever, that people literally came from their seats. Like, I was in shock. Uh, and I wasn't the only one there. We had a team of people there. But I'm like, people actually came forward. Like, they were like, that's me. And I, I'm going to start today. Uh, and to this day, I'm, I'm just like in shock at that whole experience. 
And that's only one church I've ever been in where there was enough of a culture of healing that people are like, I know that I can come out. You know, they, they had already got that established enough that when, if something really was their issue, they're, they're like, because we know that this, this church community is going to stand with us. And so that's really my um, challenge to all churches, but that's my challenge. I do believe that just because you even started by having me here this morning, having Julie here this morning, you're, you're well on your way to saying we're in. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to avoid this subject for one thing. And we're really going to ask the Lord, Lord, what, what can we do here? What can we do here? Um, so I want to honor, again, I want to honor you for this. I want to stand with you and, and just ask the Lord, what is the Lord asking you? How, how can you be a unique light in this? How can you be, develop a, a culture that is going to be life-affirming and also a culture of healing? So may I pray that for you? Um, may I pray that for you today? And thank you, Lord. Father, um, I'm just blessed to be here with your people today. Thank you uh, for their ears to hear. Thank you for their hearts to receive. Uh, Father, I pray that you would ignite this church. Um, Lord, that they would not be, you know, and I think of the, uh, the churches uh, that you sent the letter um, in Revelation to the seven churches. And um, you affirmed certain things, and then you said, but you need to correct this, or I'm going to remove your lampstand. I mean, that should, um, that, you know, that's such a sobering word for, for your churches everywhere. Lord, I want to pray that you would establish the lampstand, um, your lampstand at Grace Chapel, that they would shine brightly, that they would be a community that comes around people who uh, are afraid of people, people who are afraid to bring the hidden things to the light. And they, they need a community to support uh, their healing and to walk it out. It's got to be walked out in community. So, Father, I just want to ask you for that for this church. I ask you to bring, uh, continue to bring believers here, Lord, who don't want to be the 76% that have no influence on their culture for abortion, but um, a church that is a voice. It is a place of influence and helps people in these life and death decisions, helps families with these life and death decisions. So, Father, I just want to bless them. Um, Lord, would you just guide them and, um, and just cause them to be a shining light, Lord, in Knoxville area and, and then when they go on mission trips and wherever all that you send them in the world, that these seeds of life and truth and healing um, is part of their message to a broken, broken world, an abortion-wounded world. And so, Father, this is my prayer. And I ask it for them in Jesus' name. And uh, amen. And, you know, just like Julie said, just like those gals up in Wisconsin, they needed a church body. Like they're brand new Christians. Like brand new Christians. Like a brand new baby Christian. She's got to live that out somewhere. She's got to be discipled somewhere. She's got to walk that out somewhere. Because the enemy's going to try to pull her back. But she needs a body that's going to pull her in. And um, so, yeah. Karen, thank you so Welcome. much for sharing your heart. And I just appreciate your boldness and clarity. And, you know, friends, I just, I think it's so important. Any of these big cultural issues that we talk about, it, it can be easy for the church to ignore it altogether, or it can be easy, easy for us to be known for what we stand against 
right? And so one of the hardest things is to be able to say, hey, I stand for and support life. But if we're not careful about how we communicate and present that, it almost tells people, I'm now not a safe place. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an enemy. And, and what the church has to become better and better at is, is being a place of hope and healing. Mm-hmm. Like guys, we all need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we are sinners who've been broken and it is his incredible love and grace that changes our lives. Mm-hmm. And so my hope for us is that yes, we can know what we stand for and believe in, but that we can be people that carry grace and hope and to this specific issue, but like we should be able to carry that grace into all kinds of issues where our brokenness and our wounding, Jesus wants to heal it, all right? So that, that's who we wanna be, and I hope y'all know this is a safe place, but like we create that, like each one of us create that. You know, are, are, are we the kind of person, um, you know, Jesus, sinners were drawn to him. It, the religious people were calling him out for the fact that sinners were drawn to him and comfortable with him. Man, I wanna be like that. And so may Jesus um, create that heart in us um, that we're a safe place to come to, all right? So Karen, thank you so much, we really appreciate it. Can we thank Karen for being here this morning and sharing? Thank you. Um, we have stuff out there on the Okay, table. yeah, so listen, um, there's information this morning if you want it. You know, if you're curious to hear more about this ministry, it's so hard to know, like, in the small amount of time we have, how much do we share about, mm-hmm. like, there's incredible story after incredible story of people being set free and healed mm-hmm. as a byproduct of this ministry. If you want to know more about the ministry, like, we stand with these guys, we support them, we love them. If you want to be involved in some way, um, you know, if you know somebody who's wounded and you're not sure how to reach out to them and love them and share grace, like we want to help equip you guys, okay? So you can do that this morning at the table out there, but also you can come to us anytime to learn more about, about these guys and what Amen. they're doing. All right, thank you, Karen. All right, love y'all. Y'all have a great week and, and we'll see you soon. Feel free to stick around and, and visit with these guys if you're able to, all right? Blessings.